Shalom. I'm reading Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 12. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off in the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his, li and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you, Linda. It's good to see everyone here. And uh, just wanted to pause for a word of prayer. Lord, um, we thank you that you are our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. We bless you, Lord, that you don't run away and um, that your presence is ever with us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that um, as we look into this amazing portion of your word, we pray that your Ruach would be the one doing the speaking, and that each one of us, Lord, would uh, receive, Lord, uh, from your hand that which we need for our individual lives, and that we as a congregational mishpacha, Lord, would embrace your plan and program for us, Lord, your vision, and uh, we ask this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua, amen. Speaking of another C word, the crud, um, seemed like everybody I've been talking to is, either has it or is deathly afraid of getting it, sort of walking around with the uh, hands held out as if to say, uh, stay away from me, whatever it is that you have, stay away from me. Um, this has been a particularly bad season for that, hasn't it? Um, I don't know why, if it's the altitude, the uh, uh, 
global, here's a, a fun one for you, global warming or God knows exactly what. Um, you know, it's, it's been, for me personally, it's been very odd. Um, I've recovered from cancer and uh, fell 25 feet earlier in the year and have had back injuries and accidents and really never bothered me. But for some reason, this whole notion of the crud and the cold is just something that, that it's like the, this enemy that's out there, out to get me. Um, because for me, typically, it, it goes from a cold to bronchitis. And if I don't see a doctor, it becomes pneumonia. Um, well, I decided to do something radical this year. I thought, you know, Scripture tells us that who al hakiseh, you say who al hakiseh, he is on the throne. Amen. Period. And once we get it, we welcome him to come into all areas of our life, including our health. And so I decided to do that and say, okay, Lord, you are bigger than this cold. And maybe you have a plan and a strategy here. And um, in everything, you are in control and everything you are able to teach. And I want to learn. You know, I'm going to turn 62 this year. I want to learn. I, I finally am getting it. So I've been asking the Lord to do that. And, and I really sensed the Lord's presence through the misery. And I want to encourage you, if you have gone through it or you're going through it, you're afraid that you'll get it, um, remember that the Lord is bigger than the crud. He's bigger than the CC, the Colorado crud. Um, invite the Lord into the process. Because although you may feel helpless, and I, uh, Lord knows I do, just kind of hits and... Um, seems like I wake up two, three weeks later. Uh, the Lord's in control. Let me say that again. The Lord is in control. And furthermore, like every other trial, God is at work and He has plans and He wants to teach us what He wants us to learn through those trials. And we can either consign, give those periods of difficulty to the evil one or to something or else we can give them over to the Lord and say Lord you love me you're in control you have good plans for me you want to teach me you do good things through the difficult periods and I want to learn what you have to teach me but it requires a commitment to trust God for his strength during our time of weakness, or to put it in, in a different way, to, re to recognize the fact that during our time of weakness, we can actually grow stronger. I know this sounds kind of backwards, but Scripture is full of what to us seem to be upside-down kind of reality. From God's perspective, it certainly isn't from our perspective. It is. You know, one of the Scriptures that has often puzzled me. 
uh, is first, uh, Second Corinthians. Let, let me just read it to you, where the Lord says to Paul, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Messiah's power may rest on me." That is why, for Messiah's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, difficulties, and so on. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's, it's been, a, 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 for me, a beard scratch. It's like, what? Huh? Well, what, what do you mean? And, and at some point, I really began to understand that our weaknesses provide a platform for God to do great things in our life, to show that He is strong and to demonstrate to us that life is not about us. Life is about Him. And, and so when we get that, then we don't look at trials and difficulties as an absolute waste, but we look at them as opportunities for us to learn, to grow, and to receive God's help, God's redemption during those times. And, and the Lord seems to do things backwards, particularly as we see in this chapter. Um, from a human perspective, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Beginning earlier in the chapter, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot, a root out of parched ground. Now think about that. What kind of a big program and strategy would that be for God to start with a shoot that's growing out of parched ground doesn't seem to be particularly hopeful and yet scripture connects that to the arm of the Lord and remember that in scripture the arm of the Lord always indicates two things first of all it indicates God's personal involvement with humanity and second of all it, it speaks about God's power being unleashed so God's power is being unleashed through this shoot this tender shoot growing out of parched ground this whole chapter is filled with that you know what what we see the servant of the lord and by the way we've been talking a lot about the servant of the lord um, during the past few shabbatot because these uh, passages in isaiah have been called servant songs they present a picture of the servant of the lord in one form or another but here particularly we see something that is bizarre. You know, we see the servant of the Lord despised, rejected, uh, beaten up, and absolutely um, the last possible reason for us to hang our hats with him. Because after all, why would you want to depend on, on someone who is about to die? and someone who is despised, someone who, who is suffering. And yet, that's what the Word of God tells us. That this is part of God's strategy that He takes His servant through these difficult times in order to accomplish His redemptive work. Now, yes, of course, this is referring to Messiah Yeshua. But before you get too comfortable, Recognize the fact that if you decide that you're going to serve God, guess what? 
the Lord will take you through a similar process. He will extrude you through a time of intense pressure and heat in order to form and fashion you into the kind of vehicle, into the kind of tool that he needs for you to, be, to become. And we don't want that, but God does. In fact, here in 5310, and we'll spend the rest of the time, the latter portion of this chapter, yet it seemed, the 5310, yet it seemed it, it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Now again, this makes absolutely no sense to us. The Hebrew word for the Lord's will literally means the Lord's delight. And you say, this really, I don't know what to do with that. Because why would God want to crush and make his servant suffer? Again, it's something that seems to be out of sync with a lot of what we know and understand about God. First of all, God doesn't crush those who, who love him and who serve him. God crushes the rebel. He comes down on, like a ton of bricks on them. He crushes the oppressor. That's fact one. Fact two, God does not delight in making his people suffer. We see that over and over and over again in Scripture. Let me just rattle through a couple of verses to you. at you. First of all, Judges chapter 10. Uh, this is during one of the episodes in Israel's history when the people just didn't get it. They served the Lord, worshipped Him for a little bit, and they were short attention span. You know how it is. God, what have you done for me lately? And they got tired of worshiping God. They went off and decided to worship Baal and Ashtoreth and all the other gods. The Lord sent oppressors to get their attention to discipline them, and they suffered. And at some point, the people of Israel got it, and they turned back to the Lord. Let me read to you this, this verse. It's profound. The people of Israel put away the foreign gods from among them. They served Adonai, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Judges 10, 16. It hurt him. It bothered him to see his people suffer. Isaiah 63, 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of the presence of his presence suffered, excuse me, saved them. So when you go through trials and you suffer, rest assured of the fact that the Lord is not only with you, but in a full, absolute sense of the word, he understands your pain. He appreciates your pain. He's been there and he suffers with you. Again, how that works is beyond me. But that's what the word of God tells us. And you know what else the Word of God tells us is that God is even doesn't delight. He doesn't get a kick out of seeing the wicked get theirs. Ezekiel 18, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? 
even when the Lord looks out and sees the, the earthworms, the human earthworms, you know, the slime bucket, I mean, the, the folks are not very nice. Um, the Lord doesn't look at them like we do sometimes and say, oh, yeah, you should get there, you should get yours. Uh, even then, the Lord doesn't delight, but rather his heart. Option A for him is always that people would turn to him and repent and receive his shalom, his peace, his fullness, his wholeness. So that's who God is. But then we come to this passage here in Isaiah, and it speaks about God delighting, choosing to crush his servant. And you have to say, okay, this is one of a kind. This is an unusual exception. This is not the way God usually does business with his people. And this particular servant is one of a kind, and what God is doing with this servant is, is one of a kind as well. Because this was not just an ordinary servant, but it's someone who came to be a guilt offering. And let me take a moment and explain what the guilt offering was about. Because the guilt offering, by the way, should be called an offering of compensation because this was a unique offering that the people of Israel brought that involved not only them and God, it also involved them and other people. So in other words, you had to bring a sacrifice to get things squared away with God, but you had to get things squared away with with a person that you offended. And by the way, this is probably what Yeshua refers to in Matthew 5 when he speaks about if you have your offering at the altar, you remember you have something against your brother, drop it and go get things squared away with them. The offering of compensation or the guilt offering was the one offering in the Old Testament in the Tanakh that was based on deliberate sin. Most of the time, the other offerings had to do with uh, a sin that was committed in ignorance or weakness. You know, I was being stupid, I didn't remember, or I shouldn't have done that, etc., etc. Yeah, okay, go to the temple, bring an offering, lay your head on the animal, confess the sin before the, the priest, confess the sins over the animal and, and slaughter the animal so that you are in a sense transferring your guilt onto the animal and you will be forgiven. Leviticus chapter 4. Most of the time sacrifices for atonement for sin were like that. The guilt offering was unique and that it was based on the knowledge that you committed something that you wanted to commit. It wasn't done out of ignorance, out of weakness. It was done because of plain old rotten wickedness. And this is something that is such a reminder for us that often our sin is not based on stupidity or weakness. Often our sin is based on rebellion. You know, we just don't want to do it. Like James was talking earlier God tells us to go this way, and we say, God, forget it. I'm going to go this way. 
That's sin. And it's deliberate, conscious sin that we are engaged in. And we don't like to admit it because we like to think of ourselves as reasonably good people. I try hard. I'm a good person, so on and so forth. Scripture says no. You have a basic sense of rebellion deeply embedded in your DNA. And by the way, this word for rebellious sin, pesha, appears here three times. Remember that in Scripture, whenever the Word of God is emphatic, it repeats something, it is designed to get our attention. And part of the message here is that the suffering servant of God will provide atonement that covers sin in all its varieties. There are three key Hebrew words for sin. One of those is pesha, which I just referred to, rebellion. The other two, one of them is chet, which has the sense of missing the mark. God puts a, uh, an archery bullseye in front of you, and you shoot the arrow, and the arrow goes over and hits the barn, the other barn, the other person's barn. You're way off the mark. You just don't, you, you don't know what to do or how to do it. That's chet. And the third one is avon, which is wickedness or perversion, um, crookedness. God's way is this way, it's straight, it's clear. And you're dumb enough to, to want to go this way and that way and this way and that way, sort of like the, uh, the Mississippi, shifting back and forth. And so part of the picture here is that the Lord's servant will provide atonement that will cover the rebellion, that will, that will cover stupidity and will cover crookedness in all aspects. And by the way, as David was referring to that earlier, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us, that Yeshua's atonement covers our sin in all its varieties, in all its forms. And it goes inside out. It, goes, it works deeply. And unfortunately, th this whole teaching of atonement is not something that is often taught because we think about Yeshua having died in the past, Yeshua coming back again, and it's as if, as if the Lord is kind of taking a uh, vacation to the Bermudas and basically put us in charge, God forbid, and essentially leaving us alone. And part of, of the message that the book of Hebrews tells us that we also get here from Isaiah is the fact that God's atonement, the atonement of Messiah, is actively engaged in us on an ongoing basis. Which means God knows your schmutz, your, your dirt, your filth, your defilement, your rebellion. He loves you. And He is eager to work with you to see to it that cleansing and redemption is brought into your life in all forms and all aspects of your life. Assuming that you are willing and eager to have that happen. That you welcome the Lord to come and bring about that atonement cleansing in your life. And you say, Lord, here I am. Entire house, every single room, every single closet, you have the keys to every single one of those. None of them 
have a no trespassing sign, all of them are areas that I welcome you to come in. Ouch. That's getting kind of personal. But that's what God wants. Because atonement really cannot work its way inside and inside of us in, in full depth unless we're willing to do that, unless we're willing to invite the Lord to come into all these areas that hitherto, up until now, we had what we thought was good control. And at some point, the Lord is merciful and He holds up a mirror and says, Hello? Hello, do you see this schmutz? Do you see this filth? And, and, and His Spirit, the Ruach, convicts us and we get it and we say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and cleanse me. And the Lord goes deeper with you and brings about repentance, brings about cleansing, and brings about healing and brings about fullness. Remember, folks, that you cannot have the fullness of the Spirit the way God wants it if you are filled with all kinds of dirt in all kinds of areas. It has to be repentance of sin. It has to be cleansing, allowing God to cleanse. He brings about healing and He brings about fullness. This is what the servant of the Lord is doing and that is why the Lord delights in seeing the servant suffer. Not because he enjoys seeing the pain, but because he enjoys seeing his program come about and being established. And the truth is, we're often convinced that difficult times in our life are an absolute waste. That if God loved us, He wouldn't allow us to go through the times of difficulties and trials and suffering. But what the Word of God tells us is the exact opposite, that because God loves us, He delights in leading us into the desert, into those narrow places, not because he wants to see us suffer, but because he wants to get our attention and he wants to go deep with us. And we resist kicking and screaming. And no, none of us are in the place where, where this suffering servant is, where we go through a physical crucifixion. But, but the truth is, folks, all of us go through periods in our life where we feel that we have failed. I'm a failure. Either because we've experienced rejection by people or we have tried and tried and tried and things just don't seem to work or perhaps our dreams seem to shatter and we sink into hopelessness or we run into relationship conflict and you can either look at that and give up or you can say God you are in control who Allah ki say and you are deeply engaged with me and instead of saying God get me through this which is our typical mantra 
God, get me through this. Instead of saying that, we say, Lord, I, and please don't kick me, I'm eager to see the victory. I'm eager to see the victory that you have in mind through this. The things that you want to teach me, the good things you're working through this, and the greater work you have for me on the other side of this, whatever it looks like. Because what we find here in the Word of God and elsewhere is that God pulls out victory out of apparent defeat. But we have to be willing to trust in His power that transcends our weaknesses, transcends our difficulties. And we have to be willing to have the attitude that says, Lord, above everything, I want to see you having the honor and the glory. The scripture comes to mind for that is, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple would be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised among, above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Do you want to see that happen? You want to see that happen. Not pie in the sky by and by where you have all the nice prophetic charts and you go from here to here to here to here. Do you, do you, do you believe that that is God's aim and strategy today? That He wants to see His mountain being raised and elevated in your life? And part of that is a willingness to receive the redemption and the cleansing and the healing. Despite the facts on the ground. And folks, you look around and you see the world being filled with the walking wounded. We live in a broken world. We sometimes experience that brokenness. And sometimes we choose to bless others with that brokenness. You know, you've heard the saying... Wounded people wound. Or you can stop and say, Lord, yes, I've got wounds. You had wounds. I want to receive the healing for those wounds. I don't want to transmit those wounds. I want to transmit the healing to be your agent of redemption. Because that's why Messiah came. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom, again, wholeness, was upon him. And by his wounds, we're healed. People often quote that in reference to physical healing. But folks, the truth is, the deeper kinds of, of wounds are what really handicapped us and incapacitate us a lot more than the Colorado crud. And we have to remember that Yeshua took upon himself our sorrows and our pain and our sickness, and he has brought that shalom. He wants to bind up the brokenhearted. If we invite him and welcome him or 
we can continue to be the walking wounded. Part of the picture, folks, is each of us has that opportunity, that those opportunities, rather, to take advantage of what the Word of God tells us here. We have the opportunities to receive the Lord's fuller measure of redemption and healing. We have to be the ones who make that choice to be willing to receive it. And God puts those opportunities before us. And he will say something like, are you willing to receive the wholeness that I have for you into practice? Lord knows, over some 30 years of ministry, in one form or another, I've had lots of opportunities to um, put that into practice. You know, we all have our baggage, and our baggage comes into contact with other people's baggage. And we can either walk with, with those wounds or we can say to the Lord, Lord, um, you're able to restore and heal and reconcile. And I bet for every single person we, that we have here, there are wounds that we've been carrying from the past. Ancient past, way back, or the more recent past. And yes, the Lord allows us to go through these experiences in order that the suffering and even the death, that the emotional suffering and, and spiritual, that that will produce life because that's what we see here. The end of verse 10, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The same kind of word here, delight, chefetz, resurrection. And the basic principle is that death precedes life. I know that's kind of backwards, but you know, I learned to read from right to left, so it's kind of the way I operate. But the Lord allows us to go through these trying and sometimes bruising and, and experiences that we either learn to welcome Him and take advantage of His life or we persist with our own stuff. Again, this is part of the backwards of Scripture. Death so that we may have life. Death in the sense of dying to our strategies, to our approach to things, and life according to Him. And then as we experience that life, then it is transmitted to others. Then instead of brokenness and woundedness, we don't transmit that. We transmit the Lord's life. Yeshua in John 12 said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. 
But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Again, one of these things where you say, Huh? Lord, you speak to me in English? But do you understand what, I think you understand what the Lord is saying. If you want to receive the Lord's life, you have to die to your strategy and your program and your approach to doing things and you say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I want to embrace your plan and your strategy because I know as I go through the things that I go through, there'll be life and redemption that you bring through the process. This is something that the Word of God teaches us over and over and over again. That as we humble ourselves, the Lord raises us up. We receive life as, as we release our life to Him. See this here as well in, in 53.12. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life into death and was numbered with transgressors. Yeshua provided that atonement for us. That atonement for you. And it's an ongoing thing wasn't just something that happened in the past or something that's be going to be complete in the future, but it's something that is very much an ongoing reality. And you know, we often miss what God is doing because we are baffled because of trials. Like, Lord, why are you allowing me to to go through this and did I do anything wrong do I need to rewind the tapes and figure out what I did wrong and, and try to fix them and you can do that been there done that absolute waste of time or you can stop and say Lord I have no clue I have no clue but you do and you're doing good things in the midst of all the challenges and difficulties because remember, folks, through our times of weakness, oddly enough, God makes us strong. Let me say that again. God makes us strong through our times of weakness. He brings us to a place of greater strength, greater compassion. He strengthens us through the fire as you would with cast iron, transforming it into steel that is resilient. It brings us into a place of greater effectiveness. Peter tells us the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory, Messiah, after you have suffered a little, he himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And yes, I know you can drive several fleets of Mack trucks through that suffered a little. You know, we look at the Lord and say, Lord, what do you mean by little? You consider little, and I consider little. But you get the message. The Lord walks with us through those difficult times. He understands our pain. 
And he is at work redemptively, supernaturally, powerfully to bring about his transformation in our life. By his stripes, we have been and we are being healed. There are choices we have to make as we go through those times. Are we going to obsess and be consumed by the difficulties or are we going to say, Lord God, you are alive and well. You are at work. You're doing good things in my life. And I trust you. You know, it doesn't have to be this humongous, uh, robust, earth-shaking kind of faith. You just start out and you say, God, I trust you. Give me more faith. Give me eyes of faith to see you and recognize that the road to success will take us through the toll booth of suffering. Let's pray. We bless your name, Lord. We thank you that in this season, Lord, the beginning of a year with, with all the, the um, trials, physical trials and others, Lord, that seem to come our way, we, we thank you, Lord, that... Um, you haven't run off and that you're not disgusted Lord by our less than godly responses Lord it doesn't shock you we thank you Lord that you are at work both to will and to do your good pleasure we thank you Lord God for the good plans you have for each one of us through those times of, of stress and difficulties and trials, Lord God, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that, that you would give us eyes of faith to see you at work and that you give us stout-hearted courage, Lord God, stout-heartedness and courage. Lord, to fully embrace your plan and your strategy, Lord. Not to be dismayed, not to be downhearted. Not to yield, Lord, to defeatism. But Lord God, to press towards the mark of what you have prepared for us. Impart that to us today, Lord God, and show us how to be laborers together with you in your plan and strategy for redemption in our life and in the lives of others around us. We ask this, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen.